Born in Fort Worth, Texas 1922, Dickies is the world's leading performance workwear brand. They made for the makers then, and they make for the makers now, creating goods as hardworking and as honest as the people who wear them. They know that across the trades they support, there are many people who are really passionate about their jobs, and their exclusive Makers campaign is a way to celebrate that. James from Harbour Brewing says owning a brewery is being a craftsman. It's not about seeing yourself as being wholly original or wholly new. It's about being in a lineage of craftspeople who produce things not only because they love it, but they respect the tradition and the skills it takes. Visit dickiesworkwear.com or follow the full story on Instagram, Dickies Workwear Official. Back in my youth, way before the days of microwave ovens, you cooked popcorn over the stove. You'd put some oil in a pan, throw in the popcorn kernels, and soon you hear pop, pop, pop. A company called Jiffy Pop decided to make this even easier, so it came out with a disposable aluminum pan filled with unpopped corn and oil. But then to make the whole process a bit neater, the top of the pan was covered with a collapsible foil cover that would expand like a poshest turban as the corn popped. I bring this up because over this recent summer, I had a can of beer from a small brewery that was looking the same. Each day the top of the can was a bit more expanded than the day before. I was fascinated, wondering just how far it would go without exploding. My wife, a little less fascinated. She finally gave me the word that the can had to go. I put it in the sink, popped a tab, and the beer shot out like foam from a fire extinguisher. Hi, this is Velo Mitrovich, and you're listening to the Brewer's Journal Podcast. If you haven't guessed yet, today we'll talk, be talking about exploding beer cans and bottles, what's the cause, and just how big a problem this is becoming. Well, I was amused by my exploding can. Most customers aren't. And in the States, there are some ongoing lawsuits with breweries taking on yeast companies, along with consumers and barkeeps suing breweries. We'll be going into detail these cases. But don't worry, we're not going to leave you just hanging in worry, because the solution to all this might soon be at hand. Joining me today from the Technical Research Center of Finland are Brian Gibson and Christopher Krugeras. Brian, how... Uh, you, you don't seem to have the most Finnish name there. How, how did you end up in Finland? Uh, well, um, an interesting question. I'm not sure if I have a very interesting answer, but <laughs> I'm originally from from Ireland, um, and I I was there until I guess 2004. Then moved to the UK, uh, where I did my postdoc work on uh, brewing yeast uh, at the time with uh, Captain Smart's lab in, in Oxford and then in Nottingham. And then uh, eventually this opportunity came up uh, at VTT. So VTT has quite a long um, history of the research on, on brewing yeast and uh, brewing in general. And uh, yeah, an opening came up and they were interested in me and sounded like a good opportunity. So I, I took the risk and headed to Finland and that was 10 years ago. 
the work you guys are doing with yeast, did you see a problem specific to the beer industry and decided to pursue it? Or was it more of just a general look at yeast? Well, we, we're generally interested in yeast, but uh, I think all of the research we do is um, inspired by real-world problems. And uh, I think we identified this as one of the, the, the major problems facing the brewing industry at the moment. So, yeah, I guess it was this need for a solution that um, got us thinking about um, diastatic yeast and how this problem can be overcome. Well, well, so far it seems in the UK we, we seem to dodge the bullet to some degree. You know, in the States there's pending court cases involving exploding beer bottles and such. Um, several craft brewers have had beer recalls after receiving reports of exploding beer cans. Why, why is this happening now? Well, um, well, that's a good question. So why is it happening now and why specifically is it a problem in the U.S.? Um, it does seem to be a problem which is more associated with the craft brewing industry. And there are a couple of reasons why this might be the case. So as you will probably know, uh, craft brewers are usually reluctant to pasteurize their beer. Uh, very often the beer is left unfiltered as well. Also, um, craft brewers are perhaps a little bit more experimental in terms of the, the yeast that they use uh, for fermentation. So I would say the craft brewing industry in terms of how they make beer is very different to what one would find in a, a large mainstream uh, brewery producing a larva, for example. In, in reading some blogs... You know, some some of the brewers say, you know, it's it's really not a problem if uh, if the shippers and consumers actually kept the beer cold, if they treated the beer better, this wouldn't be a problem. You know, other consumer groups say, you know, no, no, the whole problem is with the brewer. You guys are letting this yeast get in there. I mean, who is responsible? Well, um, it's a very good question. I'm I would be perhaps a little bit reluctant to uh, point fingers. I would say at least it would not be the customer's responsibility because clearly if the um, the product is unsafe, I mean, that's not the, the, the customer's fault. Um, and while generally we would recommend keeping beer in the gold and not disturbing it too much, um, I don't think you can necessarily tell a customer that they are responsible if any problems arise from uh, inadequate storage. So um, I, I think maybe for the future, a, a better option would be to try to eliminate this problem entirely and then this whole issue of uh, responsibility or blame kind of would hopefully disappear. What makes diastasis so bad when compared to other contaminants? Um, I think clearly this, this ability to cause secondary fermentation in the package. So many contaminant yeast, for example, even if they were present in the package, wouldn't cause any problem because perhaps they are um, 
dependent on oxygen for their survival and so essentially won't be able to grow. And then even for yeast, which which are able to, to grow under these anaerobic conditions, um, they wouldn't necessarily do so because they wouldn't have the, the carbon sources to, to support uh, this growth. And so this is why the Saccharomyces diastaticus yeast, or what we call Saccharomyces diastaticus, um, this is why these yeasts are problematic, because they can ferment quite complex carbohydrates that normal yeast, including brewed yeast, uh, cannot do. So it's a very uh, unique uh, characteristic of these yeasts and not commonly found amongst uh, brewing yeast, uh, sorry, it's amongst uh, contaminant yeast, so there are uh, some exceptions. We, you know, we talked about ex- uh, the uh, the fermentation going on and exploding um beer cans and bottles, but uh, what are some of the other effects that it has on beer? Uh, get um, a drier mouth feel because uh, the complex carbohydrates, which are normally found in, in the beer, uh, they would be removed, so we get the dry mouth feel, and most of these diastatic yeasts also produce uh, phenolical flavors, so you get this uh, clove-like aroma that is usually not found in lager beer, but can find in, in wheat beer or Belgian, in Belgian style of beers. And uh, you, of course, also get more ethanol in your product, so this is particularly a problem for low alcohol or non alcoholic beer where you don't want any additional ethanol either. If, if in my brewery, if I'm using wild yeast, am I more likely to have a problem? Well, uh, not necessarily. So, one, one thing that we Noticed in our recent study is that most of these, or more all of these diastatic yeast, there are actually uh, brewing yeast or a, a separate group of, of brewing yeast. So they're not really wild yeast. They're, these diastatic yeasts are uh, yeah, another group of brewing yeast. And many of these diastatic yeasts are actually used intentionally for producing beer. So uh, if you're familiar with these Saison-style beers, these uh, Belgian-French farmhouse beers, so they're uh, traditionally, intentionally fermented with diastatic yeast or diastaticus. And uh, I guess this is also one of the reasons why this problem has become more, uh, or there's more of this problem recently because many of these smaller craft breweries are producing these uh, farmhouse-style beers and they're Maybe not even aware that they are actually using diastatic yeast in their in their brewery, and I guess it can lead to cause contamination issues. How much is the diastaticus yeast problem costing the industry? Is a question without answer anywhere in the world. I suspect many craft breweries aren't aware their beer is contaminated unless a pub owner, supermarket, or customer directly complains to them about exploding cans or off flavors. And if they are told there's a problem with their beer, it's not like there's a national number for them to call and give the amount of money lost to bad yeast. I suspect, too, in most of the contamination cases, the end result with the Atticus yeast is just that the beer is tasting pretty horrible. With this, customers just chalk it up to an inexperienced brewer and move on to another brand, 
never to return to yours. Of course, you're then left wondering why your sales have suddenly dropped. But there are some cases in USA that could end up costing millions. In November 2017, Colorado-based Left Hand Brewing Company filed a $4 million lawsuit against San Diego yeast supplier White Labs, claiming that the yeast supplier sold the brewery contaminated brewer's yeast, which led to a $2 million recall in 2016. It is unfortunate we've had to file a lawsuit, but we didn't have a choice. Left Hand co-founder Eric Wallace said in a statement released to the media, As an employee-owned brewery, the fate of our brand and employees' livelihood was compromised, and we are asking White Labs to take responsibility for the quality of their product and stand behind their guarantee. No surprise, White Lab denied Left Hand's claims that their yeast was infected. There is no specific proof on where the contamination originated from, as each White Lab's culture undergoes a rigorous testing program from start to finish, which includes 61 quality checkpoints throughout the propagation cycle, the yeast supplier said. Additionally, every batch of yeast is tested to confirm that it's contamination-free prior to shipping. We cannot provide further comment due to the ongoing litigation. Left Hand used exclusively White Lab yeast in its very popular Milk Stout Nitro, Extrovert IPA, and Warrior Fresh Hop IPA. In early July 2016, it started to receive complaints of very high pressure in bottles of its Milk Stout Nitro and off flavors in its Extrovert IPA. This led to the company recalling beer from 37 states, destroying $2 million worth in product, as well as thousands more barrels of unpackaged beer. This was followed by decreased sales, leading to significant financial losses and damages that, nearly two years later, still seem to be affecting the company. Left-hand tests show that the cause of their problem to be Thaticus yeast from White Labs. They changed vendors, and the problem with the yeast disappeared. However, you do have to wonder, if the source was White Labs, then you'd think there'd be a lot more of their customers be joining in the lawsuit. But this hasn't been the case, so who knows? The case continues on. While it does seem the first port of call for an investigation should be with the yeast provider, these problems can also enter through dry hopping, wart ingredients, environmental air, or even personnel in a review of contamination events throughout Europe over a 10-year period published in the NBAA Technical Quarterly. It stated that 71% of Dysaticus contamination events were traced to the bottling hall. Other U.S. breweries who have experienced recalls include collaborators Evil Twin and Hoof-Hearted Brewing, Verdant Brewing Company, Yultenta Brewing, Lakefront Brewery, and a whole lot more. And it's just not the craft breweries which are having problems. Consolation Brands is being sued by a New York City bartender after a bottle Corona exploded, permanently blinding him in one eye. In Pennsylvania, a court case involving Corona is taking place after someone sustained permanent hand and arm injuries from an exploding bottle. Joining me again from the Technical Research Center of Finland 
are Brian Gibson and Christopher Corgeras. Guys, you know, we, we've been talking about the diastic yeast. We've heard about these huge problems that are happening in the States with that. Why are so few breweries equipped to detect diaticus? Well, um, there are a couple of reasons. One of the issues is that um, we don't have very reliable tests for diastaticus. Um, uh, an important point here is that the, the yeast is essentially Saccharomyces cerevisiae. From a taxonomic point of view, that's what it is. So exactly the same as the yeast that we use to make um, ale beers. So genetically, it's quite difficult to distinguish these contaminant yeast from the, the main production uh, yeast. So typically, we're relying on microbiological methods um, to determine whether these yeast can break down starch or dextrins or these carbohydrates. Uh, the main issue here is that these, um, these lab tests can actually take several days, sometimes even more than a week, to actually give you a, a definite result. And uh, as you can imagine, that's not really appropriate in a brewery where products might um, already be on shelves uh, at this point. Uh, there is a genetic test for the, the gene that's responsible, the SPA1 uh, gene. But um, what we have found is that the, the situation is a, a little bit more uh, complex than that. It's not just the, the presence of the gene that actually determines whether there's going to be a problem or not. Because what we have noticed, uh, and also what others have noticed, is that just because you have a diastaticus yeast and it contains the, the gene, it doesn't necessarily mean that this particular yeast is going to have or that it's going to cause a problem um, in the production process. So um, what we have been able to do is develop a test to differentiate these uh, problematic yeast from the more uh, safe versions of the diastatic yeast. And this is a, um, a test which has been uh, developed by Christopher. So this whole diastatic project has been, uh, I guess, masterminded uh, by Christopher. And he could maybe say a little bit about the specifics um, of the test and kind of how it works. Yeah, so what we found is that um, even though um, many of the these strains have this gene, it's not uh, very active. So uh, for an enzyme to be produced, uh, uh, the yeast strain has to, or the, the gene has to be expressed. Uh, so it's basically it's being translated from the, the DNA into an enzyme. And uh, what we found is that the strains that are less active, uh, this process doesn't doesn't happen, and, and this is because uh, uh, it goes a bit into genetics now. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to follow. So uh, in front of uh, this gene, there's a, a sequence of DNA called a promoter, and this usually uh, controls how much of the, the gene is then translated into a, a 
an enzyme. And what, what we noticed was that these strains that were not very problematic or uh, didn't have high diastatic activity, they were missing a large portion of this uh, sequence in front of the gene, so the promoter. And what we then did was develop a test that uh, detected if this uh, strain uh, had this uh, deletion in the promoter or not. So if it was missing this sequence in front of the, the gene. So in this way, we can detect both if, if it has this FK1 gene and if it's expected to be very active. So the, the tests you made, if I was a commercial brewer, how long would it take me to actually test my beer? Well, as this is a, a genetic test, um, well, within a couple of hours, uh, I think the the actual uh, facilities or equipment required would be fairly basic, so um, kind of rather simple PCR techniques. So um, there's really nothing complicated about the test itself. So you're you're telling me then I won't have to I won't have to wait for days to get a result. I won't have to send it off to a lab. I won't need really specific training to do it. And the test equipment would be fairly easy to work and fairly inexpensive. Yeah. So this is the the beauty of the test. It's relatively simple. It's obviously uh, very quick. Uh, to get the results, and so, yeah, we, we see it being uh, quite important for the brewery in the future. So, why can't I buy it today? <laughs> well, you can. That, that's true. You can maybe buy it tomorrow. Um, so, this this has been a very recent uh, discovery. Um, what I think you you can do today, if you do have some samples of yeast or, or beer or whatever that you suspect might contain uh, some of these harmful diastasis yeast, you can um, send them to BTT uh, for testing. Um, so this is, I think, at least the service we can provide in the in the short term before there's any commercial kits available. But um, in a way, it's not really kind of our business model to do uh, routine testing because we are a research institute. So um, rather what we're doing at the moment is discussing with companies um, uh, about licensing the technology so that a commercially available kit uh, can be produced. And uh, this will be something that's very, well, hopefully very user-friendly and quite uh, cost-effective. For you know, I know you guys might be slightly biased um, <laughs> with your view of it. But, I mean, to me, this really seems like this is something that once it is available commercially, that every brewery's going to want to have this no matter what their size. I mean, would would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. I mean, obviously, um, the diastatic is, is, a, is a problem. It's a problem that affects um, all breweries. So we've been talking about how it's an issue in the, in the craft brewing industry, but Saccharomyces diastatic doesn't actually differentiate. It will obviously find its way into uh, larger brews as well. It seems to be a fairly um, common resident uh, in breweries, so it is an issue also for, for the larger breweries as well. Guys, thank you very much for uh, for joining Brewer's Journal Podcast today. Okay, sure. Thank Have you for the invitation. Thank you. 
If your brewery has a batch with Deaticus contamination and you're lucky enough to catch it, good on you. You'll be out the time and money that had gone into the beer, the time and money spent thoroughly cleaning your brewery, and the money lost in missing production deadlines and disappointing your customers. But hey, it could be a whole lot worse. At this stage, I have to ask you, how did you detect it? Do you have such a wonderful system of checks and balances in place to catch things like this? Or was it just dumb luck? And at this point, I need to ask you, if it did make it out the door, how would you know? While talking about exploding beer bottles and cans is more interesting, in most cases, the yeast just creates overcarbonation and a bad flavor. I know for myself, nine times out of 10, when I experience a bad product, I don't contact the company. I just never buy it again. Months could go by before you start connecting the dots between sudden poor sales and the chance of deaticus affecting your beer. I really think that the tester created by Technical Research Center of Finland can become your brewery's best friend. I only hope that a commercial company sees the potential and gets it out the door as soon as possible and into your hands. Quick change of subject now. The Brewers Congress will be held on 20th November in London and tickets are going fast. For more information on this, visit the Brewers Journal webpage. With today's podcast, I'd like to thank Brian Gibson and Christopher Krigeris of the Technical Research Center of Finland, sound engineer John Young, our sponsors, and most of all, you, our brewing compadres, for listening in. This has been Vela Mitrovic, and you've been listening to the Brewer's Journal Podcast.